Welcome to the fifth installment of The Turwee Show with me, Oliver Turwee. Today we have a very, very special guest, State Senator and Deputy Majority Leader of the Minnesota Senate Republican Caucus, Mark Johnson. So great to have you on the show, Senator Johnson. Hey, thanks, Oliver. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. I really do. So yeah, it's cool you to put yeah. together this podcast. Yeah, thank you. Um, all right, so the first question I have is just how are you doing? How's this year been for you? <laughs> uh, it's been it's been wonderful. Uh, you know, we live in God's country up here in Northwest Minnesota, which uh, you know, I mean, we get to stay away from all that stuff we see on the TV and the news, and and uh, we live in a really good area up here in Northwest Minnesota. You know, COVID things going on. Uh, people are actually there. There's a real rush to rural Minnesota from the cities out. Uh, into the outer suburbs in rural Minnesota. And here we are. We're living where people want to be. Uh, so for us, this is actually a, a good place to be. Um, you know, for, for my, so I do a couple of different things. I do some concrete work and I do some legal work. And both of those have been relatively unaffected uh, from the COVID and the effects and the shutdowns and all that. So uh, it's been, you know, a lot of business is normal, except we wear a mask while we're doing it. So, yeah. yeah. So the next question is, you had an election this year. What is it like running for public office and running a campaign? <laughs> hey, that's a, that's a great question. This year was so different. So back in 2016, I put on 36,000 miles uh, in one campaign cycle from about March until November. Um, this year, I put on about, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be about 8,000 miles on my pickup driving around the district. You know, it, it really goes to show the re reduction in number of public events and meetings and you name it. Uh, so that's been really reduced. So this year compared to last year, or I should say 2016 compared to this year, you know, we did a lot more in-person stuff. This year was a lot more... Uh, I would say more expensive probably in a way because instead of doing the in-person things, we're doing like, um, you know, it's radios, the radio ads or newspaper ads or mailers and things like that to really reach out and to connect with constituents and voters on saying, Hey, here's my platform. Here's what I want to do in this upcoming session. Uh, please vote for me. Uh, so that's, it was a little bit more difficult to communicate, but uh, you know, it really takes a lot of folks, a lot, you know, Oliver, I know that you were up there in Kitson County doing some work on, on behalf of a lot of conservative uh, candidates. And that's really appreciated because it, it is tough to get up to everywhere in the district. You know, Michelle Fishbach, think about her district, probably one of the largest in the nation, uh, running from Canada all the way down to Iowa almost. Uh, you know, it really takes a lot of grassroots folks like yourself to to get a campaign done. So appreciate everything that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Our next question is, um, at what age did you become interested in politics and what kind of pushed you into that? So so I, there's a couple of different things that, that are, I don't know, coincidental or whatever that, that happened in my life that... Uh, really made me interested in it and, and helping to understand that I could be a part of it. Uh, the first one was just a simple sixth grade class trip. I mean, we all have taken them uh, down to the state capitol probably 
um, where we go, we meet with our legislators and we just get to see the building and the architecture of the Capitol. I remember being sixth grade and thinking, wow, these people are, are like celebrities. This is amazing to be here. And, you know, a few years later down the road, I went to college at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. And one day I just happened to jump on the number 16 uh, metro, metro bus and it goes right in front of the state capitol. I thought, oh, that'd be fun. I, I remember going there as a kid. So I jumped off the bus and I ran up to the gallery of the Senate and I sat there and I watched these same people that I had met back just, you know, six, seven years prior. And I see them in there and I think, man, these guys are just giants. I can't imagine being in their position. And then a few years later, I'm married. I've got three kids. Uh, I'm living up in East Grand Forks and I see that Senator Leroy Stump has retired. And I say, you know, I would love to try to just, I know I'll lose, but I just want to put my name into the hat and, and get some experience doing this. And it really, you know, th there's such a group of people that comes around you and supports you and, and encourages you and becomes like family. And uh, when that happened, I really found a real passion for the process and what politics really means uh, to a community. And so when I started winning, I won the endorsement and then I had a primary challenge. I, I won the primary and then went on to win the, the general election. Boy, at that time, uh, every step just got me more and more on fire for, uh, for what politics can be. And I was really, uh, really at that point where you know, this became a real, uh, a real passion uh, for me. But yeah, yeah, I yeah. Knew the answer to the question, but I hope that works. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good story. The next question is, what brought you to hold uh, conservative ideas and values and to be on that side of the spectrum? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. That, that's something that, that I continue to wrestle with, too. I don't want to hold conservative values just because I want to hold conservative values. I want to know that the values that I hold are values that will benefit individuals in our community and in our state. And I feel like conservative values, whether it's, you know, you can go to the, the bread and butter issues of, well, taxation and, and freedom and liberty and, and all those things. And, you know, it's, it's like, well, being from rural Minnesota, having my own business, doing these things has really helped me to understand that, individuals when they are uh, handed things whether it's a, a government check or a, or a job or some form of uh, security uh, one way or another you're giving up something for that and you know until you feel what it's like to lay it on the line to risk things to to live life with consequences it's, you know, to me, that's what really conservative is, is about. It's not about the government controlling your life and telling you what you need to do. And in return, they'll give you this guarantee of whether it's health or safety or whatever. And to me, our country was founded and what makes it exceptional is that liberty, that, that freedom, that ability to go out and risk and to throw yourself out there and to really to live out, to, to really, to, I don't know, drip out every bit of you in a good way 
that allows you to know that you're alive. And, and for me to trade that in for some guaranteed check, um, you know, some people are looking for that and, that, and that's fine. But I think that, that humans were made to live life uh, in a way that to live it to a fullest, not to be guaranteed an outcome. So I don't know if that answers the yeah. question, but yeah, but no, I, I, yeah, that, yeah that, that makes sense. So now we have some questions that come from some other people in the district and in the community. This question comes from somebody in the district. What do you consider to be your biggest accomplishment while in the Senate? Yeah. So there, there are a number of different things um, that I could, you know, bring up. Like, I love, I love the fact that we were able to get the DigiKey deal done. That, you know, really uh, was was one of the keys to keeping DigiKey in the state and in Thief River Falls. And you think of the families that are working there. I mean, we've got family members ourselves, and and all these communities are really uh, built around bedroom communities for DigiKey, like Warren and whatnot, that have a lot of their community going into Thief River Falls each day uh, for that work. You know, so for me, that that's great. I'm really glad that we could do it. But one of the more, uh, one of the more exciting things for me is, is on the individual level. I had a, you know, for example, I had a business owner in Thief River Falls, who was having some trouble with the MPCA, Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, on an interpretation of statute. Simple, you know, uh, straight up, we see it this way, you see it that way. And he called me just crying. I just, Mark, I, I can't afford to do it this way. They told me to do it this way. I invested money in my business so that we could do it the right way. And now they're telling me to do it this other way. And so, you know, I get on the phone and I talk to MPCA and we get that matter straightened out. I get a call just, you know, hours later after we are done with the MPCA, they've made some changes on their end. And the same owner calls me and just profusely thanks me for the work that, that we did to, to make that change. And to me, it's just like, that is so rewarding. That's, that's the thing that I remember you know, about my legislative work is how do I affect the individual life? These big macro things are great, but, but I, you know, if I can help out people at that individual level too, man, that that's rewarding and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have a few more questions from people in the district. This one comes from a kids yeah. in central high school student. And I think a lot of other students throughout the district are also wondering this, but his question was, what is your take on the postponement of extracurricular activities in our district? And do you, do you think that it's um, necessary? Yeah. So where my office is here in East Grand Forks, I, I have a, uh, well, the East Grand Forks hockey coach is in the same building as me and he pops over every once in a while. And we're in a unique position because, you know, I live on e in East Grand Forks. He's like, okay, you know, these guys want to go over and do some practice on the North Dakota side. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know if they can or not. You'll have to talk to somebody about that. But, you know, the North Dakota for the last 11 days has seen dropping numbers. Now, they still have some in-person in, in practice, practice and things like that. We know that the risk to students is very low. 
uh, on the health side of things. To me, I just say, let, let's open it up. You know, we, we postponed this. We know how to do this stuff safely. We know the transmission rate in our high school sports is very low, uh, especially up in Northwest Minnesota. So, yeah, I, I get it increases some, some danger, I guess, but let's get them back. All right. Um, this uh, next question is also from um, a student in the district. And his question was, what is some advice for the younger generation who want to get, uh, who want to get into politics and follow what our nation is doing, but don't know uh, what sources to trust? Uh, so it, it seems like we all have a different perspective on, on what we're hearing in the news these days, whether it's Fox or CNN or MSNBC. And so, you know, it doesn't matter which station, they all have a slightly different slant or, or bias to them. And it really concerns me that, you know, even social media, you, you watch something like Social Dilemma where they, where they really hone in on what you like and push you in those directions in, in a very mindful and purposeful way to, to push you into those, those columns. And that's kind of concerning to me. So there's not necessarily one news source that I go to when trying to identify issues. Maybe I'll, I'll let somebody, you know, let a news article or a TV station flag an issue, but I really wanna go to uh, what are the sources that they're citing? Okay, let's read those sources. Let's read what they're talking about because everybody's got interpretation. You know, news wants to get out there as fast as it can. So right now, whoever's fastest is, is making the most money. So it doesn't have to be right, it just has to be fast. Um, so make sure you're following up. Just if somebody says something, be super skeptical, skeptical and get after it and just see what the sources are that they're citing because so often they're, they're off or misinterpreting it. Uh, and it's just, you, you've gotta be skeptical about what's being said out there these days. Yeah, yeah that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. And we have two more questions from people in the district. This question is, what can be done to bolster economic growth in our area and create more jobs? Yeah. So, yeah, we've, we actually are in a super good spot in Northwest Minnesota. Um, you know, we've got some really good uh, companies around here, you know, in, in Kitson County, we've, We've got Matt Tracks and, and those types of companies, uh, Marvin Windows and Players and Articat and DigiKey and some some big ones. Then we also have our egg industry, which you know is always hurting for people. Construction industry, you know, is desperate for. It. But now we've we've got a new job creator uh, as of last week that's moved in. You know, Enbridge is starting up a huge 2.6 billion dollar project that's going to cut right across Kitson County and most of the uh, Northwest Minnesota. And I mean, there's gonna be jobs all over the place. And right now in this economy, if you, if you look at downtown Minneapolis or St. Paul, and I live in, in downtown St. Paul for several months out of the year, um, the occupancy rate of, of office buildings down there is at 7% right now. Um, so it just, it's a ghost land. People are working from home, they're doing things, remotely you know just like you're doing the podcast at home I'm doing 
this, uh, well, not too far from home. Uh, we're working on that. Opportunities, this COVID thing has really created a new uh, opportunity for those who who can work from home. You know, you, you just log on your computer. So, um, you know, creating that, there's, there's a number of things up here that we can work on and improve. Number one's childcare, because uh, <laughs> right now, you can find a job in Northwest Minnesota, but can you find childcare? Uh, that's very difficult. Uh, the other thing is housing has been a big, big problem up here as well, because you know folks like Digicane Polaris and all that that have the hands-on worker. Well, you can pull people up and get them up here to work. They want to work, but they can't find a place to live. So what are they going to do? And then finally, just the training. Uh, you know, Northwest Technical College has been doing a great job. Uh, with a number of industries, you know, with welding and manufacturing and all that stuff and preparing individuals to go into the workforce. So, um, you know, those are a couple of things. We got the jobs. We just have to make sure the infrastructure is there. And uh, I could also throw in too broadband is another thing is <laughs> that can be in trouble from time to time. Yeah. So there, there are a few things that we need to be looking at, but we're really sitting in a very, very good spot for uh, really having full employment uh, in Northwest Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. The last question from uh, somebody in the district is uh, in today, with it being so divided between the left and right, what can be done to bolster by bipartisanship and get things done? Oh, that's another, that's another really, that's an excellent question, Oliver, because that's something that, everybody's concerned about how how do we do that um so you look at an election map right now and what do you what do you see in minnesota i mean if you were to look at it from a just from a, a map a, a statewide look you'd say okay minnesota clearly is a republican state it's all red except for a little dot over here and a little dot over there and another big one over here and the rest of it's red but as we know, that's not the case. In those dots holds, you know, a majority of the population. So what we're seeing is rural Minnesota has become Republican. Uh, more the, the Democrat is in the in the metro. So, you know, how do we communicate? I mean, we've got completely different interests. We got different value systems. We've got different experiences, and we don't see uh, any more of the blending uh, of, you know, rural Democrats or really Metro Republicans. We've got some uh, suburban Republicans, but nothing really Metro. So for me, one of the biggest things is how do we form relationships with our counterparts? How do we have them experience what rural Minnesota is like? We live down in, in St. Paul for four or five months out of the year. We buy groceries there, we, you know, I bring my family down, we do the events, we, you know, we're there, we get to experience it, we get to understand a little bit better their world. And I wish for a moment that they would come up and experience what really rural Minnesota, what, what is it like being in Carlston, Halock or Kennedy? I mean, they no longer have those connections where maybe two or three generations ago, a lot of uh, you know, the suburban and the metro people had connections to rural Minnesota. So they understood going to grandpa's farm and, and they knew what it was like. And, and doesn't seem like they still have that 
a connection where they say, well, we got to protect the environment. We've got to do all these different things for the environment. And yet they maybe go on a hiking trip over in the northeast corner of the state every once in a while. Well, I mean, we're here, we're living in it. We, we know what it's like to protect the land and live here. And we're going to be drinking the water and our next generation is going to be living here. So why do they continue to tell us what we need to do? So it's these sorts of things where I try to bridge that gap, try to get those relationships with the Democrats, but they're very reluctant to really cross over and, and come up and, and experience things up here. And I wish more of that would happen because I think there would be some real synergy if they would do that, more meeting of the minds. But so far they've been pretty reluctant to do that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Just a few more questions. This one, what have you learned from your time in office so far? <laughs> Man alive, there is so much. The, the biggest thing I have learned though is, is how important relationships are. Like that is, we, you know, we've got social media now, whether it's Twitter or, you know, Snapchat or whatever it is. And I mean, that's, those are, are good things, but at the same time, you know, just those, how do you speak to people? How do you, you know, the one guy that, that uh, is a good friend of mine, Nick France, he's a Democrat, uh, Mankato area. You know, on a normal, on Facebook, we'd probably be going after each other back and forth and talking about why our side is better or this side's better. But in real life, we're good friends. And, and I'd never say those things to him. And, you know, I understand that he's got a different perspective and, and we have a, a good conversation together. Um, so it's those relationships that can actually help to reduce those tendencies to, you know, get after you see it on whatever platform, social platform you're on, just the, the mentality that you're not going to convince people, but the relationship at least gives somebody the benefit of the doubt and how important that is. So as you're, as you're, you know, in school or, you know, in your job or being out in the community, now that reputation that you have, especially in small town, and you know that Oliver, I mean, you're growing up in small town. I grew up out mentor fertile area and uh, those, they know me, they still, oh, yeah, you're that kid that, you know, play basketball or you did that, you know, they know you as that. So right now you're young, you know, your classmates are young, but remember that reputation will stay with you for a very, very long time. So be careful and treat that like gold because uh, it's a valuable thing and, and you do not want to be tarnishing that, but uh, it's a big deal. Yep. Yeah, for sure. We have one last question. So you were reelected last month. Uh, congratulations. But um, in this second term and the new session, what are some of the things you are most eager to get to work at? Yeah. So this is, this is really neat now because this is my uh, second term. And they've, you know, because I came back, they're like, okay, we'll give you some more responsibility. It looks like they'll send you back here again. So, uh, so got reelected. Uh, in November, which was very, very exciting and quite an honor. And so then they, uh, you know, I was elected to assistant leader. And from there, the majority leader appointed me to the deputy majority leader uh, position, which is kind of his right-hand man. Um, so with that, 
I get to be a part of a lot more of the negotiations. So you, you think about legislating and you see it on TV and you see, you th or I'll, actually you think more about the floor session where people are down on the floor and they're giving their speeches and things like that. And that's great. But I'll tell you that most of the decisions have been made long before that. That is window dressing. There's nobody on the floor saying, hmm, that's an excellent argument. I think I'm gonna change my vote to whatever. I mean, these bills and these ideas have gone through, you know, drafting and committee hearings and backroom talks. And they've, they've been around for months and months. And we've had all these discussions before. And they're part of a big, bigger deal usually. Um, so, you know, those sorts of things, um, you know, we, we really are, I don't know, I, they're, a big, they're a big part of it. I mean, just understanding the process of this. So, you know, um, I don't know if that really answers the question or not. Maybe, maybe let's go over one more time. What, on the question, just to make sure that uh -huh. I answer. In, um, in this second term and the new session, yeah. um, what, what are you most eager to get to work at? Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's right. So, so with that, um, those deals that have been going on or being made uh, once we're on the floor, I should clarify that, that would be the part that I'd be more involved in on that back end side of it. So you know, that's pretty exciting because there you've got the governor, there you've got the house, there you've got uh, all these other individuals in the room and you actually are in there trying to cut these deals uh, with the other side. So yeah, that stuff is, is very exciting. The other one that I'm pretty excited about is the redistricting chair. People are like, oh, that's a, that's a doom committee. You know, for, since 1971, we really haven't been able to get uh, a map together uh, other than the courts having to take it and do it. So people are like, ah, you know, good luck, Mark, but, you know, probably not going to happen. So we'll see what happens there because there's a really a path forward within that. And there's some things I want to do differently within that redistricting committee to see if we can reach a deal. If we can't, you know, so be it. But I, I'm going to give it a real good faith effort, effort to try to get that one across the finish line for the first time in, in well, 50 years now. So we'll see. It's a big task, but I, I'm excited to start that one. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks a lot, Oliver. Appreciate your time.